This is just gone 809 Central African time. Let's welcome a pious and sagacious Omar with a hearty assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Your program, Medical Files, keeping you company. Yes, people, you know, Japan plans to boost its uh, tumbling birth rate by funding artificial intelligence matchmaking schemes to help uh, residents find love. From uh, next year, it will uh, subsidize local governments uh, already running or starting uh, projects that use artificial intelligence to pay our people. Last year, the number of babies born in Japan fell below 865,000 people, a record low. The fast-growing nation has long been searching for ways to reverse one of the world's lowest fertility rates, boosting the use of uh, artificial intelligence is one of the latest efforts uh, uh, that uh, they're trying to do. Jaw-dropping world fertility rate crash expected. Well, Japanese woman at a crossroad, uh, you know, this uh, system of fertility coming through and the forced industrial revolution, uh, you know, how the baby will be, the behavior, the challenges and other issues. Who better than our very popular, our very efficacious, our very, yes, there are many talks that you can listen to him, our very own uh, Dr. Ridwan Umar, who is a pediatrician. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, doctor. And tell me, how are you doing this fine? Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, brother Shafat. Alhamdulillah, I'm very well. Uh, and how are you, my brother? Alhamdulillah, all the better to be in your pious and sagacious company. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, it's it's actually the honor and the privilege to to be talking to you is is mine. Alhamdulillah, and I thank Allah for that. No, Alhamdulillah, it's very reciprocal, and you know, we move like a family, then friends, and that. You know, it's, it's like we are one, and I always feel that whenever you come, I feel it. That is the family member of that Islam, you know, we should be united as one. So, that's a good thing. Yeah, no, it's a real thing. It's something to do with the railway track of a Zipingo. The trains going past and this and that. Well, Doc, you know, we're looking at a very important uh, topic indeed. You know, the single parent issue is there. Uh, so many children don't even know who their fathers are. Now you've got the artificial uh, industrial or the fourth industrial, which is the arti- uh, artificial intelligence uh, revolution. Uh, we're talking about the baby that comes in uh, during uh, this time, the behavior, the challenges and other issues. Perhaps your preamble uh, this evening. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I begin by praising Almighty Allah and I send abundant salam on our beloved Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and I ask Almighty Allah to bless each and every one of us. Ameen. Brother Shafat, I must thank you once again for choosing such a wonderful topic. I think uh, it is so appropriate, it is so important and it is so relevant uh, in the current time that we are living in to actually discuss this and you know, I have to be honest with you, when I saw the topic, I was very excited and I decided to do a little bit of reading and research on it as well so that I can I can give our listeners, you know, the, the best possible uh, 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 outlook to this whole topic. And, you know, the Scott Industrial Revolution is a very nice way of phrasing the current situation that we are facing with regards to advancements in technology, you know. And what's important to know is that while this fourth industrial revolution or or this age of technology that we have entered to, that's what they actually refer to, is is is, is all around us. I mean, if we think about the use of the Internet, uh, virtual reality, robotics, artificial intelligence, that's what we're talking about when we refer to the fourth industrial revolution. Uh, 
And it is, it is not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's important for us to understand that the technology isn't good or bad, but it's the way we use it, it's the culture that we build around it that will determine what outcomes we get, not only for ourselves, but for our children and for our future as well. So technology is is a good thing if it's used correctly and if we... We, we adapt to it in, in the right way and we teach our children the correct way of using it. Because as we learn in the course of this evening's discussion, there's a lot of good in it, but if its use is uncontrolled and unregulated, then we can have problems and we're going to focus on pediatric problems. So problems that we encounter in children with regards to unregulated use of technology. I think what's important to highlight at the beginning is that our system of education for our children. You know, I remember when I was a little boy in school, I had a, a teacher who always used to tell me that, that you know, education is three things. It's pencil, paper, and brains. And I still remember her, her telling me that, I mean, all these years, about 30 years later or something, but it still applies, you know. Technology has advanced dramatically since then in the last 30 years when I was a schoolboy. But I think it's important to know that the pencil, the paper, and the brains can never, ever be replaced. And how we train that mind and how we energize that mind and, 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 and educate that mind using the pencil and the piece of paper must never, ever change despite the advancements in technology. So it's very important that we understand and realize that that this concept of pencil, paper, and brains is an integral, integral part of a child's education. And, you know, holistic learning is what we now have to embrace. So when I say holistic learning, in simple, simple English, what I mean is we must prepare for deen and dunya, you know. We must educate our children for the deen, but we must prepare them also for this life in the dunya as well. And we have to look at all aspects, um, whether it's science or technology or engineering or mathematics. We have to teach our children everything. We also have to teach them how to embrace technology. Because like I said, it's not inherently good or bad. It's the culture that we build around it that's very important with regards to technology. So what we find today, and sometimes it's amusing. I mean, I get kids coming to me uh, in my practice and uh, a one-and-a-half-year-old or the parent will show me, doctor, see how my baby uses the smartphone. See how my baby can open YouTube or, or all these other apps which is a good thing. It's showing that these kids are learning to, to use technology. But what, what we need to know is that what we're finding in our, in our society today is that children are learning to use smartphones and tablets before they're learning the alphabets and how to count. So we need to ask ourselves, is there a balance between that? And I think that's what's important. So all I'm going to try and do today is to just give parents that information about, about how to try and find a balance between using technology and encouraging our children with the old concept of, you know, pencil, paper, and brains. Uh, you know, doctor, when uh, you uh, take your child to preschool and uh, the teacher will give them plasticine or give them outdoor, you know, exercises or ride on the bike and things like that. But the millennium kid or the kids of uh, this uh, time, they are more used to uh, actually the demand for a game or, uh, you know, if, if, if the data goes out and they'll bring the roof down. And uh, slowly but surely, they've been programmed to become, you know, these children that are addicted to technology. 
And, you know, how would you react to that? You know, they're acting like any addict that when they don't get their fix, they uh, they, they go around shouting and they, uh, till, till they get it. I mean, some addicts go around breaking things till they, uh, they get what they want. Uh, doctor, how do you react to that? Yeah, absolutely. So what what I want to talk about uh, um, in today's discussion is is what are the effects or the consequences of overuse of mobile devices. Now, during the course of my reading for today's talk, what I found was a study where they looked at at, at what what would be the the, the best amount of time that we should allow our children to spend. So we call it screen time, whether it's a smartphone or a tablet or a television. So any of these mobile or electronic devices. And what they found is if children spend more than two hours per day on, on all these devices combined, then it actually leads to emotional, social, and attention problems uh, in the children, which is exactly what you mentioned, you know, the temper tantrums, the, the emotional outbursts. Uh, some of them will have sleep problems. That, that's a common issue now because of the, the effects of the light, you know, on the eyes. So it's actually, it's researched, it's documented, it's published, it's scientific fact that too much of screen time leads to um, weak emotional judgment in children. It causes problems with their mood. It causes mood disorders in children. So we've seen children with depression, with anxiety disorders, purely because of excessive screen time. What's very important for the parents to know is that, you know, what happens when, we, when our kids spend too much of screen time, and I'm sure most people would have experienced this in children, is, you know, we, we lose that human sentiment you know, the ability to interact with other people. These kids actually lose their social skills, the ability to socialize with other people, with other children, with people that are older than them and with people that are younger than them. So their they, 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 they social competence is weakened by being glued to those devices all the time. And it's very important for us to actually make sure that we strike a balance between how much of time they spend on the devices and how much of time we actually spend with them. So what what is this, this fourth industrial revolution or this era of digital disruption has, has done to the mind of the child is it's affecting the ability to be creative. It's affecting the ability to solve problems. Remember, when kids go to school, part of the system of education is to teach children how to solve problems, whether we're using the medium of mathematics or, uh, or, or art, but we teach them problem-solving skills. We teach them critical and analytical thinking. Now, what we need to be aware of is too much of digitalization, too much of spending time on, on, on electronic and mobile devices actually impairs the ability to critically analyze things and to think for themselves. What we also see, especially in children with, you know, hyperactive, hyperactive children, so children with attention deficit hyperactivity disorders, you often find if you probe into the history, these kids tend to spend a lot of time on their devices. In fact, for a long time now, I've been, whenever I make a diagnosis of ADHD or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, that's children that are basically hyperactive, too impulsive, they can't sit still, they don't finish their work at school, they, they, they're not focused, they're distracted easily. What we find is these children spend too much of time on their devices. And for a long time, I've been actually telling the parents is the maximum amount of time 
Our children should be spending on any screen, the combined time shouldn't exceed more than two hours. In fact, in some of my reading, I found where they restrict them to on weekdays only one hour per day. And on the weekend, you can give them between two to three hours. Because the studies have shown how it causes all these behavioral and emotional problems, increases the, 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 the aggressiveness, increases the sadness. I mean, we see when you take the device away from the child. They become sad, they become depressed, but it's not only that short-term depression or that reactive depression, it actually causes um, mood problems in these children, and then they get problems with bullying other kids at school, but it affects their learning. So we see a lot of children with learning disorders presenting to us now, and part of the reason is because they, they're losing their ability to think and to critically analyze things. And the other big problem it causes is obesity. So now you might ask me, how does using a device make your child overweight or make your child obese? But what we find is, especially during the holidays, we have these prolonged lockdown periods. What were our children doing? They were sitting at home, most of them, I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of them, and sitting on devices to pass time, whether it's a tablet or a smartphone or in front of the television, and that reduces their physical activity. And that, when they're sitting down all the time, it leads to just mindless snacking. You know, they get hungry, they're eating all the time. They develop unhealthy habits. They don't go outside to play. So there's a marked reduction in their physical activity. So it has not only all those, those mental and psychological consequences, which we mentioned, like depression, emotional problems, anxiety uh, issues, anger issues, uh, but it also causes physical problems like obesity in children. And then there's studies to show that children who are obese are at higher risk of becoming young hypertensives and young diabetics. So, you know, the 20-year-old, the 25-year-old who's diagnosed with hypertension and diabetes, we say, but why? He's so young and why is he hypertensive? Why is he diabetic? If you go back to their childhood history and you look at them, you'll find that these children were often very overweight in the prime time of their life, which is that first first five years of their life. So, you know, all these things have an effect on your overall health and your overall life, which is important to just think about and to, and to have in our mind. But all that said and done, uh, you know, there's a lot of benefits to technology as well, and I think it's important to mention that because it's not all doom and gloom here. I think think it's important for us to know that that, that we have to strike a balance with our kids. It's it's very important. Um, I mean, you know, technology has made communication so much easier. It's so much easier to communicate with one another. It's enhanced uh, trade. You know, it's made businesses more effective, more competitive. And in children as well, you know, you get these, these online activities or you get these special um, apps for children, educational apps that improve their hand-eye coordination, their fine motor skills. So there is, there is benefit in it. It also improved medical research. So, yes, there are benefits to it, but we've got to to know how to strike a balance. Mm, Absolutely, Doc. And, uh, you know, uh, we'll be going for a break in the next five minutes. uh, But just uh, looking at some of the things you said, and the obesity thing really is a very, uh, you know, frightening fact because uh, they are sitting and look uh, on the devices, and there's actually no physical activities at all. And the only physical activity is the fingers are moving and perhaps the eye is looking at the screen and things like that. 
and you know, you 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 say you get the young diabetic and uh, hypertension uh, coming through at a very young age. But what about uh, those you know children that uh, become desensitized to death? You know, playing these uh, war games on uh, on uh, on the Xboxes or PlayStation or whatever the parents give them, and these kids uh, become actually zombies on Earth. And uh, how do you react to that? You know, uh, the parents are actually allowing them to do that, even if you're watching uh, the, the mainstream I think, media. I think it's very important. For parents to 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 monitor and to create rules for how children use technology, that's very important. And the first example is the parents. So the parents has to be a model to their children in terms of of how to use technology, how much technology to use, you know, the manner in which you use the technology. So it's very important that the parents begin to teach the children by changing their own behavior and and by setting the standard and setting the example. Because remember, children imitate their parents, and the first teachers are the parents. So all these problems of, of, of what they watching what they get access to is under full and should be under total control of the parents. So it starts off by what the parents actually watch themselves, how much of time the parents spend on the devices themselves. It's very important for parents to to, to balance their time with their children and with their devices as well. Look, we all spend time on our devices. There's no question about that, whether it's social media or whatever it is. But it's important that especially those of us who have young children at home, who have growing children at home, number one is to be their example and to be their role model with regards to what we watch and what we do with the, with the technology. The second thing is to not ignore our children, to not deprive them of our time and of our attention. It's very important that we interact with our children, we talk to them, we make conversation with them. Because what, what we found is that if parents misuse mobile technology, it leads to tension in the house, it leads to conflict. Children start doing or looking at all these wrong games like you mentioned, and then that affects their behavior. Then they go to school, they start acting those behavior patterns out. Then they start bullying mm-hmm. other children and it becomes a vicious cycle. So parents need to need to to set a good example, and they need to create rules. There, there must be times in the family, you know, time for the family to interact with each other. So you got to have rules like there are, there are certain times that we everybody unplugs from the devices. There are certain like you have maybe tech-free zones in your home. You know, certain areas of the home no technology allowed. Parents must have control over their children's mobile devices, and that includes access to passwords. I think it's very important. That parents actually actually get 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 deeply involved in the kids' use of technology, and there, there must be rules for these children to prevent those type of problems that you were mentioning, Brother Shafat. Absolutely, Doc. And uh, yes, uh, listeners, we'll be taking your questions uh, after the break and uh, the number to call. Don't forget the number. Uh, I had it uh, put here somewhere. Yeah, there's it there in front of me. Uh, the uh, our WhatsApp number on Marcus is zero eight four seven eight six three one three two. Wait for seven eight six three one three two. Any questions for Doctor, uh, our pediatrician, Doctor Ridwan Umar? I'll pose it to him, and he will give you the answer. Yes, sir, Doc. Uh, two minutes to go before the break, and uh, you know, you said that uh, too much screen time causes uh, mood swings in children, and it's amazing that these young kids at this age are you know prone to mood swings. Uh, you know, is that deliberately done so that the future generation will be? One uh, generation without uh, value, uh, without respect, uh, or the promiscuity factor will be just uh, running rampant, uh, doctor. 
Yeah, that's a very, very great concern that we all should be having, and it's important that you mentioned it, Brother Shafat, because what we need to understand is that this, this, this whole era that we are living in is changing the way we look at the world and the way our children will look at the world, because the children will start looking at the world the way the way we look at it, you know, through the, they look at it through our eyes initially. So it's 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 important for us to understand how these these new technologies that are coming up and it's it's evolving at such a rapid pace, you know, it's hard to actually keep up with it. But how it leads to all these psychiatric and psychological and emotional problems in children that we see in parents bringing their children in, and and how it how it affects them, and it's very important. I think the most important message to parents out there is is don't allow your children to spend a maximum of more than two hours per day because it has lots of consequences on their mental and their physical health. And not only short-term, are we looking at long-term things? You know, like I mentioned, young adult hypertensive diabetics. That then leads to what? You're 30 years old and you're sitting in an ICU because you had a heart attack. You know, so it all starts from this young age, and it's it's holistic. It's it's incorporating all the aspects of our life. So communication as a family is very important. To sit down, to talk to the family, to sit with the children, you know, to just have a conversation with them and interaction with them. I think it's important. Even sleep disorders, and these are common problems that we see on a daily basis. In my, I mean, even in my own practice, you know, I get children coming in with temper tantrums, sleep problems, mm-hmm. you know, sleep dysregulation where they have very disorganized sleep. And when we often probe the history to find out what's going on, and when we go into this this, this history of technology use, and that you find that these children actually spend a lot of time on it. And look at children that spend too much time on the devices. Look at their social skills. How do they interact with their uncles, their aunties, their grandparents? When we take them to their grandparents' house, or when, I mean, it's it's like a quick, you know, hello, assalamu alaikum, and then they want to they want to go into the devices. There's no conversation. There's no human interaction. So the, the social skills that are being lost is something that we should be concerned about as well. And that comes with excessive use of this technology and too much of screen time. And then it affects them at school as well. So it's, it's very important. And we see children all the time with school problems, you know, letters coming from the school and concerned parents coming to us. My child is not doing well at school. What, what can we do to help him? Sometimes we just got to get them off the screen. And, and we see mm. a big difference. In the old yeah, you make a lot of... A lot, lot of sense that Doc uh, see that the uh, guy from the marketplace is calling me. All right, get your card out, Doc. I get my card out. I see you got a nice one then. You got a platinum card. Let's go do some shopping. You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. The program is our Medical Files, and uh, this evening we're in consultation with uh, Dr. Ridwan Umar, a pediatrician, alhamdulillah, doing justice to the topic, and I'm really enjoying him. I'm just sitting back and imbibing everything uh, that he's telling us uh, this evening, and alhamdulillah, Allah bless him for even doing the research as a force industrial revolution that is artificial intelligence of behavior challenges and other issues and the babies that come through in, uh, during these times. Yes, your own, your, your lots of uh, uh, SMSs are coming through and uh, perhaps we can kick off with this. Uh, Noor Muhammad says, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Brother Shafaat and uh, Dr. Ridwan. Uh, both of y'all make a top team. Jazakallah khair for that. He says, uh, will the doctor say that the kids of uh, today are more British than the kids of yesteryear. Now, strong terms, but I think, uh, you know, 
Perhaps your observation, uh, Doc, you know, you've been in the field for quite some time now, so you could see over the two scores or more that you've been there, uh, the behavioral patterns of children. Have it changed, uh, you know, more now that the kids of the new millennium are more phosphorus, are more, you know, screaming more, and uh, perhaps, uh, uh, you know, even if you chide them, they don't want to listen to you, uh, Doc? Alaikum salam to our listener who asked the question. I, I think what's important to, to mention here is that parenting today is very different to parenting uh, a decade ago or 20 years ago, because the environment that our children are brought up in and um, the, the aspects of life that they're exposed to is very, very different. So I wouldn't label all children as British. I think the majority of children are actually very good children. Uh, they, they, they well brought up, they well mannered, they loved by their parents. So you do get some children that are delinquents. Uh, that's, that's the term I would use. But sometimes there are underlying causes for that and there are, there are, there are factors that, that lead to that or aggravate that type of behavior that we need to actually look into because you must remember these children depend totally on us for their care and and for for them to be able to reach their full potential we need to understand them we need to understand what their capabilities are and we need to help them reach their full potential so not every child has an IQ of 120 so you can't expect every child to become a rocket scientist in life that's why what I mean is we need to know what is our child's real potential, and then we need to ask ourselves, is our child reaching that full potential? And if the child isn't, then we need to ask ourselves, why? Is there a problem? Is there an attention problem that our child has? Is there a mood disorder that our child has? Is there some uh, anxiety problem that, that might, be, might be contributing to this? And what we need to understand as well is these mental and psychiatric disorders that children experience can lead to, to bad behavior or what we would call disruptive behavior disorders or conduct disorders in children. Or another term that we have or a condition in children is called an oppositional defiant disorder. So these are, these are actually like, like offshoots of, the, of a primary problem, an underlying problem. So if a child is presenting as being, as the listener said, brattish or just an extremely naughty child, we need to look at, 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 at the child holistically and see where the problem is, and there are lots of ways to help the children, and there are often reasons as to why the child is behaving like that, because every child is, is, is supposed to be given the best opportunity for the best possible future in life. And if the child is not getting that, then, then we might be missing out on something. So I wouldn't label children as British. I think in summary, it's important to know that parenting 20, 30 years ago to parenting today has changed dramatically. There's a lot more demands on the parents as well, and we need to appreciate that the parents go through a lot more now than they did, you know, half a century ago when they when they brought up kids. Uh, it's also important to know that if the child is presenting with a behavior disorder or or, or brattish uh, type of behavior, then there might be underlying reasons for it that we need to actually look into. And you get a whole team of, of experts involved. For example, you get a pediatrician who does a pediatric assessment. We can get an educational psychologist to assess the child's real academic potential. If the child has any specific learning disabilities, then we can get an occupational therapist to look at issues that is affecting the child. Sometimes the child, children present with this type of behavior because they're not doing well at school. And the reason 
reason why they're not doing well at school is because they might have poor posture, low muscle tone, you know, and those things contribute to learning problems that re- result in low self-esteem. When the child has a low self-esteem, then they come home and they present with uh, disruptive behavior patterns and disorders with anger, with temper tantrums, because they're frustrated. So it's important to look into the reasons. It's, 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 it's important for us to know these things because we mustn't just resort to punishing these children. There's often a reason as to why these children have problems, and then we can help them. For example, like I was mentioning, the child with, with low muscle tone, poor posture, poor pencil grip. You know, we get occupational therapists that can work with these children. You correct these things, and you see a total change in the child's performance at school. They make more friends at school. Their self-esteem improves. Their behavior automatically gets better. So you see a total difference in the child. So that's what I meant when I said we got to help each and every child reach their full potential. Mm, and what about the parents that money coddle or overspoil the child? How detrimental is that to the child? Even the behavior, you know, when they, with the parents, uh, that's when uh, the drama shows off and, uh, you know, they're actually rude to other adults, uh, doctor. Yeah, well, that, that also leads to, well, that's actually caused by sometimes, I mean, you know, it's also poor parenting skills. But then we have to look at whether the parents have their own problems, you know, whether they have their, their, their own internal tension and all those other issues, domestic mm-hmm. problems at home, internal conflicts that, that then causes them to neglect their children. And then that results in these children becoming uh, unruly or, or poor, you know, just, just ill-managed children. Well, I look at a message here from uh, Merun Osman. She says, Assalamu alaikum, uh, Shafaat and uh, Dr. Umar. Y'all are really giving us a lovely show. Jazakallah khair. I really like medical files. She goes on to say the era of the midwife when children were delivered at home. A whole family involved in the delivery. How did this benefit a mum and baby? Uh, has uh, something changed now that is uh, making it uh, difficult uh, for parents and babies to behave properly? Perhaps we need the old Zamana back. <laughs> Doc, you with the new Zamana, you're doing quite well. Thousands of people. Yeah, uh, salam to the <laughs> sister for this question. Uh, it's always good to know that people are enjoying Brother Shafat and my show. It, it, gives me a little bit of motivation to, to, to keep talking. Uh, with regards to home deliveries and, and getting a midwife, it still happens today. It's still being practiced. It's still a safe way of doing things. But the advice I would give to the moms out there who are contemplating or thinking about a home delivery by a midwife is that you need to make sure you thoroughly research the midwife that you're going to choose to come and do your home delivery. You make sure you have a proper backup plan. You make sure that you'll have um, an obstetrician who's prepared to, to stand in if and when an emergency arises. So you've got, to have, you've got to be well prepared, well organized in the event of things not working out. Most home deliveries actually work out very well. I think it's a very good way of doing things. The more, natural, uh, you are, the, the more naturally you approach uh, birth and, and, and birthing, I think the better the overall outcomes are, and the science has proved that over and over again. So there's, there's nothing like, like delivering naturally. There's nothing like immediately putting the baby onto the breast. Uh, you know, in fact, now we've, we've recently changed our system where 
retired. We uh, in, the, in, in the recent past, we used to bath the babies immediately after birth, and we often used to use, you know, these hospital antiseptic soaps and that. But now science has taught us that, you know, when a baby is born, they have this cheesy white substance on the skin. People have witnessed birth and, and have been present at the, and when a newborn baby is just delivered, you know, that, that's a substance called vermix. And science has shown us, and this is like, I'm talking recent, like in the last two, three years, where this, this, this cheesy substance that covers the skin, and we must thank Allah for these things. We only learned about it now, you know. But this has been happening from the beginning of time. You know, this, this cheesy substance which we call vermix, which prior to this, we used to immediately wash these babies in an anti antiseptic solution and that. We found that it actually has its own antiseptic properties for the baby. So it protects the baby from getting infection. It retains moisture in the skin. So that is why we now do what we call delayed bathing of the baby. So you don't, you don't immediately give the baby a bath because you want the vermix to remain on the skin for at least 24 to 48 hours. So all these things we now incorporate incorporating into hospital practice, which would a few years back would have been would have probably been done at home by the midwives. But obviously we we now we now we now doing those things in hospital. So there's a lot of advantages of a home birth. It's a very safe way of doing things. I have a lot of patients that were born at home and they had no problems. But it's very important that that you have a proper backup plan. Um, it's good to get the whole family involved. I think anything that brings the family together is a good thing. Whether it's a meal, whether it's the death of a baby, whether it's, it's the celebration of Eid, whatever, whatever activity brings the family together, if it's a game of ball, I think any type of activity that brings the family together is very important for the whole family, for the whole, uh, especially for the kids, you know, the, the, the whole uh, psychosocial development uh, depends on the level of family interaction and involvement in their lives. And what we must remember is children require a lot of attention. From the time they're born, I mean, today I was doing ward rounds uh, in the nursery, and the mom tells me, uh, Doctor, my baby is crying even after I feed the baby. Maybe there's not enough milk. And I said, No. If your baby's fed well and your baby's still crying, then it means your baby wants you to hold your baby. Your baby wants that physical contact and that attention. So at, at the baby level, that's what it is, that hug and cuddle and, and being in the mother's arms. But as they grow, they still want the attention of their parents, but in different forms. They want you to hear them talk to them. They want you to talk to them. They want you to ask them questions about their day, their activities, their concerns, and, 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 and they want you to tell them about your day as well. So, Interaction between the family, between parents and children is very important. And it actually leads to better outcomes in the children's psycho-emotional outcomes and, you know, the way they react to the world and the way they react to other people and how they interact with other people all starts off with how we interact with them at home. So there's a lot of benefits for, for, for just being united as a family, in simple words. Jazakallah for that lovely answer, Dr. Nazira says, Assalamu alaikum. Uh, doctor spoke about diapers. Perhaps he could tell us live on a how to uh, put diapers on for children, especially the toweling one, Shafaat. She says that there is a difference between diapers today. We use the toweling di diapers and it worked perfectly today. It's all those plasticators uh, diapers that are sold at supermarkets. I want to know from the doctor, which one was better, the toweling one that we used or the, the ready-made ones that we buy and throw away and pollute the oceans? 
But look, there's advantages and disadvantages to both. I think the greatest uh, advantage to using the old toweling type of diapers would be the economic benefits. Using these, these, these current diapers that you go buy from the supermarkets are far more expensive, right? Compared to the toweling diapers which are washed and reused over and over again. In terms of of reducing the, 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 the complications that children would get from either of them. There's no significant difference from my own personal experience. And what I'm talking about here is the biggest complication any baby gets from, from wearing a diaper uh, or, a, or a towel napkin is the nappy rash. That's the biggest problem that we see in, in, in children with diapers on. Um, there's no significant difference, as, you know, uh, whether you use a toweling one or whether you use these, these ready-made uh, disposable diapers. Uh, so I think from a, from a health point of view, from a, from, a, from a disease point of view, the outcomes are the same. The important thing is to, to try and keep that nappy area as dry as possible, which means frequent changing. But like I said, if you want to compare the advantages and disadvantages with the old system, it's a far more economic and cost-effective way because you're recycling the same fabric and you can use it for a long time. But then obviously that has its disadvantages. It's more labor-intensive. It requires washing. It requires drying. It requires, you know, going outside to hang the stuff. Whereas the other one is just, you know, you wrap it up in a piece of plastic and you dispose of it. So it's, 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 people still use it, the, 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 diaper, the, the old toweling diapers, but I mean, I think I probably see maybe one baby a year wearing it. The rest all, all use diapers, but there's no harm in using the current diapers. And there's no, there's no like, it's not like I see children wearing the toweling diapers or the, 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 the these ready-made diapers being less prone to nappy rashes and, and what we call dermatitis or inflammation of the skin in the nappy area, which is a common reason parents bring the babies to us. Uh, there's no difference between the two. So from a health point of view, it's the same. Mm, I can tell you, Doctor, I'm really enjoying this consultation with you. So, the interaction is so brilliant, too, from our listeners. Asking us uh, top questions, too. Hey, you know what? Doctor says, y'all are simply the best. Uh, concerned mother says, that my baby boy. Always good listeners. Uh, getting the questions from the listeners is good to know what goes to other people's minds as well. So it gives me a good idea of, of what people are thinking of. Uh, it's, it's good interaction, you know, like I was talking about earlier on. Um, it, it's good. Uh, human interaction is very good. <laughs> good to talk no, no, to people. I, Especially people no, like no, you, I, Brother Shafat. Always good to talk no. to you. <laughs> no, no, it's a very reciprocal, and I can tell you, you know, this is what makes the show. It's uh, the interaction that we get from our listeners. Alhamdulillah. And alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. He just howls till the car stops and uh, when we're back home. He, till, okay, I think I must get the gist right here. My baby boy cries continuously when he senses us going for a drive. He just howls till the car stops and uh, we're back home. Wonder why? Otherwise, he is an absolutely beautiful, fantastic child. Doc, what's happening here? 
Okay, that's a very unusual concern that this mom has or dad has raised with us. The, the, the first thing that came to my mind when I heard this question is, is it obviously depends on the age of the child, but generally children love going in the car. They love going in these, in these rides. Um, I often tell parents with colicky babies, if everything fails, even if it's two in the morning, take your child in the car for a drive and you see how it will quieten them down because they just love that motion. But in this child here who's crying, there's, 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 there's the possibility of motion sickness that the child might be experiencing. So maybe this, this child, I don't know what the age of the child is, but obviously it would depend. It, but the motion might be causing severe nausea where the child is, is becoming extremely nauseous because generally children love anything that moves. You know, and they love going in the car for a ride and for a drive. So there might be there might be some form of emotion sickness or something that's making the child feel unwell, and, and that, that would be the most likely explanation, obviously depending on the child. Because remember, children can't verbalize how they feel. So it, the, the, the only way they'll tell us that, uh, that they're not happy about something is by crying. So, you know, that's one thing to consider depending on the age of the child. Uh, the only other thing that comes to my mind is whether this child has some unusual phobia of 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 things in motion, you know, a phobia mm-hmm. means a fear. That that might be another possibility. So, you know, obviously we have to look at the age of the child. We have to look at the overall behavior patterns of this child. Whether the child has other anxiety issues, because that might lead that might lead to to a, you know to a, an answer as to what what is contributing to the child child problem. Jazakallah for that, Doc. Fozia Patelia says, Assalamu alaikum, Brother Shafat, and uh, our Dr. Umar. And she also goes on to say, We really appreciate the nasiya that our Mufti A.K. Hussein gives us with all his QA. Lovely radio station, Marcus Sahaba. Okay, and she goes on to say, So many mothers abandon babies at various spots. So sad. What is the psychological effects on both mother and child? Yes, sir, Doc, you, you know, you read the newspapers. You see children abandoned in funny, funny places, Doc. Your reaction to uh, Fozia uh, Patelia's uh, question? Yes, well, you see, the issue of abandoned babies is always a sad issue. It always, uh, you know, makes us uh, just, uh, you know, sad. That's what it does. Whenever I see an abandoned baby coming to my room, in fact, you know, some listeners might know my practice is in Pine Town, and there is a, there is a, a home in Pine Town for abandoned babies that's run by an old lady, and she often brings her abandoned well, she brings her abandoned babies to me for for check up if they're sick and all that. So I, I actually encounter these babies quite often. Uh, and, and obviously each baby has a story, you know, where she'll tell me, uh, you know, that, well, I haven't seen them in, in recently, but I, I remember bringing a baby once to me that was found in, the, in a bush in Marion Hill, and like at five in the morning, somebody was going to work, and while walking past uh, on the pavement, they heard a cry, and then they walked into the bush and found the baby, and then immediately took the baby to the nearest hospital, which was in Marion Hill. Then once they, they called me to casualty, there was a baby at, at our hospital that was found in the bin in the in the in the nearby shopping mall. The baby was ice cold, was ill looking. So then. Some 
sometimes we find these babies abandoned in a hospital, so the mom comes in, gives birth, and then she absconds from the hospital and she disappears from there, and then they can't find the mother. And then you get some of them who just decide that, well, they don't want the baby for whatever reason. So those are all forms of, 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 of abandonment of babies. It's, it's, always, it's always very sad, it's always very emotional, especially when you see this you know, beautiful masoom baby and you think this baby was left in a, in a bush to die or in a bin to die. And, you know, Allah's mercy that mm. somebody found this baby and brought this baby for medical help and, and then to watch these children grow. And I've seen a couple of them grow in the last few years from newborn abandoned babies to four, five-year-olds now. And alhamdulillah, it's good to see how they, how they do and how well they actually do. In terms of the, 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 the psychological and psychiatric uh, effects that these parents experience at that time, I wouldn't know because I don't really interact with them. We, we find the babies, not the parents, you know. Obviously, the police will open charges against the mother and, you know, the culpable homicide and abandonment and, you know, failure to disclose the birth of a baby because by law we have to register the birth of every baby. So by abandoning the babies, they don't, so there's, there's a whole lot of things that, that the law uh, has to address, but from a pediatric and, and from a doctor's point of view, obviously we care about the health of the, the immediate health of the baby. Is, is the baby cold? Is the baby uh, dehydrated? Is the baby infected? Because the, the newborn babies, especially if they're neglected and they get cold, they get septic or septicemia very quickly. So those are the, the physical complications of, of, of child or baby abandonment that, that we, we address immediately. Sometimes you find the cord, the umbilical cord wasn't cut properly, wasn't cut with a sterile instrument, or they just tied it with some dirty, unsterile uh, piece of cloth so they, they can get infection from there. And sometimes we find that they didn't clamp or cut the cord properly so the baby bled too much, so there's anemia and all the other complications. So immediately when it comes to the baby, those are the things that we have to focus on is the baby's immediate health and well-being and to restore the baby to good health. Uh, in terms of psychiatric disorders and psychological effects of that, you don't really see anything later on because these babies are like a day old or five days old at most when we, we usually find them. And if they get a good home, like the simple example I'm giving is this, this home for abandoned children in Pinetown, where, where the babies that I see come, come to me from, uh, those people actually doing a fantastic job. And, you know, just to, to complete the story for the listeners, just until before COVID, this lady, she's, she's, she's actually a, you know, a white lady who's, who's, who's been running this home for abandoned children for years. In fact, she has a little, like a, like a post box for babies at her home. So even if you don't want your baby, uh, you can just go there and leave the baby in like that, that post box any time of the day or night. It's, it's, it's a little box in a house, so you can just leave it there and disappear as a safe way of abandoning your baby rather than, than leaving your baby to feed in the bush or something. But what she had was a, a great system, which I always admired. So she would get these babies, whether they came from the bush or the bin, sort them out, bring them to hospital, you know, make sure she, she, she gets them in good health, and she would raise them, nurture them. And between the ages of one and two, she had a special agreement with a social agency in Canada. And she used to get all the children adopted by Canadians. And so these children that were found, and the majority, I mean, well, actually all the children that she brought to me, uh, I'm just giving you a, a picture of things, you know, uh, were black children. And 
so these black children would then get placed in a family in Canada, and these parents would come. Obviously, they carefully selected. They go through all the adoption processes and the social workers and everything. So, full, uh, you know, uh, 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 investigation is done into their side, and then from here, the government has to give approval. But they eventually, once it's all approved, those parents come to come to death and to find out in particular. They pick up their child, and then they, 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 they get them Canadian citizenship and Canadian passport before they leave South Africa. So when they leave the country, those little children that were found in the bush in Marion Hill and the bins in Pinetown, they leave at the age of one or two with Canadian passports, and they go and live in Vancouver and Toronto. And this, this old lady sometimes brings me videos of these children. Some of them are now six, seven years old that, that came to me as newborn babies abandoned and sick. And, and you see how well they're doing, how, how well cared for they are. I mean, they're living, they're living the best possible life. So, you know, there's, there's, there's no psychological effects to that uh, in those children because they, they were shown love from the time they were picked up. But obviously mm-hmm. the parents, there's, there's great issues that, 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 that cause them to do that because to abandon your child means that there's some serious problem that you are experiencing, whether it's a psychiatric disorder or a psychiatric disease or a mental disorder, that would cause people, whether they're psychotic or schizophrenic, in simple English, mad. You know, the medical mm-hmm. term would be psychosis or schizophrenia. Then you've got to look at issues of poverty. Maybe the mother just simply cannot afford it. You know, then there's the issue of rejection. If, the, if it's a young mother, and often these are very young, young teenage mothers, you know, the fear of being rejected by their families. You know, their families might kick them out of the house, so they conceal the birth, they give birth in the bush and leave the baby there and then just go back home like nothing happened. So there's, mm. there's, there's a lot of issues that go into it, and these mothers must never be, be uh, you know, despised or looked down upon. If we do find them, then we should help them. We should find out what their problems are. We should embrace them. And that's what Islam teaches us anyway, you know, to, to um, you can hate the sin, but not the sinner, you know. So we need to embrace yeah. these people and, and, and open our arms and open our doors to them and find out what led to that and see how we can help them. And that's where our social agencies must come in and, you know, all our, our aid organizations to uplift these people. Because to do something like that, obviously, there, there was really something, something tragic going on in your life to cause you to abandon your baby. And we need, mm-hmm. as society, we need to come together and we need to help these people. Absolutely brilliant words uh, to end the program on, uh, Doc. We have run out of time. You were absolutely, mashallah, really enjoyed every moment with you. And inshallah, we look forward to having another consultation with you uh, soon. And uh, next uh, 10 seconds, your parting words. Uh, Well, I want to thank the listeners. I want to thank you, Brother Shafat. And most importantly, we thank Almighty Allah for all his blessings upon us. And we ask him to continue to guide us, to forgive us, to make parenting easy for us. Parenting is a big challenge in these times with all the, 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 you know, the child that, that we're exposed to, that our children are exposed to. We pray and we ask Almighty Allah to make it easy for parents and to guide our children and to give each and every child the best of this dunya and the best of akhirat also. Ameen. Ameen, Summa Ameen, Doctor. You have a blessed evening ahead. As I said, we'll talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You too, my brother. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
Yes, I thank, uh, as the doctor said, we thank all listeners for sending in those uh, fantastic questions. Uh, time for us to go for the Isha Azan, and inshallah, we'll be continuing after that with the pertinence of punctuated.